So we're moving towards Lent, which begins on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. But what is Lent all about? Uh, Now, I might surprise a few people here, but Lent is not about giving up chocolate or alcohol for a few weeks. And uh, before you breathe a sigh of relief, I must tell you that Lent, if taken seriously, is far more demanding. And this morning, we're going to delve into what Lent is all about. And in so doing, we're going to gain a better understanding of prayer and fasting. But first, a bit of background. So what is Lent? Well, Lent is a period of 40 days, 46 if you include Sundays that take us all the way up to Easter Sunday. In essence, Lent is a period of preparation for Easter. And there's no biblical mandate to observe Lent, uh, but there's good evidence that it was observed in the church as early as the 4th century, and probably a lot earlier than that. So how does Lent prepare us for Easter? Well, traditionally, there are three key aspects of Lent. First, it's a time of prayer and penance. In other words, a time of recognizing our sinfulness, of turning back to God, and of drawing near to him in prayer. Secondly, it's a time of acknowledging our dependence on God. So during Lent, at certain times, we might go without food. And that physical hunger reminds us of our complete dependence on God for our very lives, let alone for anything else. And, and you know, sometimes if we go without food for a while, um, that feeling of hunger tends to dominate, doesn't it? It's almost the only thing that we can focus on is this feeling of hunger. And in a way, that's a challenge to us to think, well, am I that hungry spiritually? Do I have that same level of spiritual hunger? And thirdly, it's a time of good works, a time uh, when we make a special effort to give to the poor and to live unselfishly. And and together, these things are supposed to remind us of our need for a saviour. They remind us of our sin. They remind us of our dependence on God. They remind us of how we're meant to live as Christians. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, But there's one glaringly obvious problem with all this. And that is that it can dupe well-meaning Christians into thinking that the only time we live disciplined lives is during Lent. Uh, And the fact that for many Christians, Lenten discipline uh, often doesn't involve much more than giving up chocolate, well, that can completely undermine what we mean when we're talking about Christian disciplines. There's no point in giving up chocolate if we're not praying regularly. Giving up chocolate might make us feel like we're doing something, but it won't improve our relationship with God. And during Lent, we should be prayerful and penitent. We should uh, be aware of our dependence on God. We should do good works, but not as a six-week special offer. Uh, Lent, if you like, is a time of uh, on-the-job training for the year ahead. We make an extra effort in order to establish good habits for the rest of the year. Lent is a reminder that the Christian life involves discipline. And it's a way of kick-starting a more disciplined approach to our Christian lives. So we're going to look at the disciplines of prayer and fasting, disciplines that move us closer to Jesus, disciplines that help us to understand and embrace the wonderful truth of Easter. And actually, I'd also want to lump Bible reading together with prayer and fasting. Uh, but I think most Christians, um, you know, for most Christians, pray, prayer and fasting go hand in hand. So we're going to take that as a given. And when it comes to prayer and fasting, we're going to look at three things. 
our motives, our expectations, and our experience. Motives, expectations, and experience. So firstly, our motives. When Jesus speaks about prayer, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Of course, Jesus wasn't criticizing public prayer. That was an essential facet of Judaism, and it's an important part of what we do as a church. Jesus wasn't criticizing public prayer. He was criticizing showy prayer. Uh, the hypocrites, most likely the Pharisees, uh, were not praying because they were desperately seeking God. They were praying so that people would commend them for being so pious and holy. Actually, uh, their prayer and fasting was was deeply narcissistic. It was uh, self-centered. And then fasting. I love what Jesus says about fasting. He said, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. How do you disfigure your face to show that you're fasting? I'm not even sure how you do that. They must have looked so miserable, this bunch. But it's the same thing again. These, these hypocrites, they just want to get noticed. The driving force behind their elaborate prayers was the desire to be respected and well thought of. And that's a trap that all of us can fall into. In our culture, we tend to care too much about what other people think. And often that can affect the way that we live our lives. You know, we, can, we end up espousing opinions based not on our convictions, but on what we think other people want to hear. Uh, we, uh, we engineer our Facebook feed uh, to make it look as if we're living the life of Riley. And then we keep checking our posts to see who's like them. Or we strive to get more stuff, expensive clothes, a big house, a plush car. Uh, not that we can really afford them, but we want to look successful. And the worst kind, the worst kind of phony self-projection is the religious kind. And in recent history, you know, uh, people who project a religious image but actually have no love for God. And in recent history, we've seen the most horrendous examples of that. Um, So-called Christians, priests, going through, through all the religious motions whilst perpetrating the most sickening acts of abuse. That's an extreme example. That is religious hypocrisy at its worst. But at the other end of the scale, it might be someone sat in the office and there's some chocolates going around and they say, oh, I'd love to, but I can't. I'm giving them up for Lent. Uh, that might seem fairly harmless, but if that person isn't actually seeking God, then it's just another form of religious hypocrisy. Uh, often people will go for the outward religious trappings but have no real interest in knowing God. Much better to use Lent to do business with God. Lent is a time to pursue God wholeheartedly. Uh, we fast and we pray, and we can do that without anyone knowing that we're doing it. We don't have to make a big song and a dance about it. Many people associate the church with hypocrisy, and sadly, it's easy to see why. There are people all over the world who religiously go to church, and yet there is nothing about their lives to indicate that they are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that we need to be perfect, but surely a relationship with God through Jesus should change us. Surely it should change us. 
I mean, even our relationship with other human beings, if we have a long-term intimate relationship with another person, that changes us. How much more so our relationship with God? How can it not change us? And I've often heard people say, Christians, a bunch of hypocrites. And I want to say to those people, you don't like hypocrisy. Good. Neither did Jesus. You don't like dead religion. Great. Jesus couldn't stand dead religion. And that thread runs right through the Bible. In our Old Testament reading from Isaiah, we heard how the Israelites fasted, but their general conduct was appalling. They were fasting and expecting God to hear their prayers, but their society was characterized by injustice and exploitation and oppression. They were willing to put the outward religious trappings on display, but they weren't willing to address their attitude of heart. Uh, They weren't willing to address their self-centeredness. And I think all of us at times can be like that. So as we head into Lent, let's examine our motivation. Let's examine our commitment to faithful discipleship. And let's engage with the disciplines of prayer and fasting that we might enter into a life-changing, character-transforming relationship with God. The next thing we need to look at is our expectations. But before we do, we need to think maybe a bit about Jesus's expectations. Because Jesus said, when you pray, and he said, when you fast. He didn't say if, he said when. Jesus expects his disciples, he expects us to do these things. Uh, But even though we may be willing to engage with these disciplines, we often come to them with the wrong expectations. And that can be because we misunderstand what it is that we're actually doing. Uh, For example, it's a common mistake to misunderstand what Jesus meant when he spoke about there being a reward. He said that these hypocrites, those who pray and fast just to show off, uh, Jesus says they have received their reward in full. So if people are looking at them and saying, oh, look how wonderful they are, look how holy and uh, religious and pious they are. If people are saying that, well, they can lap it up uh, because that's the only reward that they're going to get. And it's a false reward. It's hollow. It's empty. It's meaningless. It, It won't last. I mean, what's the point in having the approval of other human beings If God can see that inside we're corrupt and we don't love him, what would be the point in that? Uh, But also Jesus makes it very clear that those who pray and fast for no other reason than to draw close to God, uh, well, they will be rewarded. Uh, But I think often this reward is what gets misunderstood. If we're not careful, we can turn pray and fasting into a kind of transaction. I've done my duty, so God owes me. You know, if I pray, then God will reward me with exactly what I asked for. Or or fasting, okay, if I'm fasting, well, that takes real commitment. Uh, That ought to convince God to do exactly what I want. But what a mess we'd all be in if God granted all our requests. C.S. Lewis makes the point, he says, the essence of request as distinct from compulsion is that it may or may not be granted. And if an infinitely wise being listens to the requests of finite and foolish creatures, of course he will sometimes grant and sometimes refuse them. 
Invariable success in prayer would not prove Christian doctrine at all. It would prove something much more like magic. If our expectations are too high, if we think we can use prayer like a magic wand, then we're headed for disillusionment and our prayer lives will dry up. As Philip Yancey put it, the main purpose of prayer is not to make life easier or to gain magical powers, but to know God. The main point of prayer is to know God. The reward that Jesus speaks about is, is, is in fact an ever closer and more intimate relationship with God. And that, that is what we are aiming for this Lent. But equally, our expectations of what prayer can achieve can be too low. Uh, if we don't believe that prayer makes a difference to our relationship with God and to the world around us, then prayer will not be very high up on our priority list and we'll find uh, reasons not to do it. Um, because of my role over the past six or seven years, I've had hundreds of pastoral conversations. I've spoken to people who are experiencing all kinds of difficulties and challenges and problems in life. And one of the questions that I often ask is, are you praying about this? Are you praying as a family? Are you praying with your husband or your wife? Uh, are you praying regularly? And often the answer comes back, no, no, we're not praying. And I want to urge you uh, to get into a regular pattern of prayer if, you, if you're not already. Because God has built prayer, our frail prayer, God has built prayer into his method of governing the universe. God has built prayer into his economy. Prayer is powerful. Prayer makes a difference. Watchman Nee said this. He said, our prayers lay the track down which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without rails. So for our prayer and our fasting to survive beyond Lent, we need to, be we need to have realistic expectations of them. Prayer is powerful, but it's not a magic wand. And we need to be able to balance those two things. So finally, we come to our experience of prayer and fasting. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. As Christians, we need to set aside a bit of time each day to be alone with God. And if we're not accustomed to doing this, we could start small. You could just start with three minutes a day. And at first, the conversation might feel a bit awkward and difficult, but like all relationships, it takes time. I remember when I first met Tissa face-to-face. -face. We met online, but uh, we met properly for the first time for lunch. And I'd come from a job interview, and Tissa was in her lunch break, and we were sat opposite each other at a, a little table in a Thai restaurant in London. And I've got to tell you, I felt like I was in another interview. Uh, it didn't feel comfortable at all. The conversation felt a bit awkward. It didn't flow as I hoped uh, that it might. But I was determined to get to know Tissa. And so I persevered, and so did she. And now when we sit down and talk, it's not stilted and difficult and awkward. The conversation flows, and there's good communication most of the time. <laughs> because we've taken the time to get to know one another. And so it is with our prayer life. It takes time to get to know God. 
But we can build that up gradually. But if we're not, but, but we're not going to have much of a relationship with God if we're not taking our prayer life seriously. As Martin Luther put it, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Our experience of prayer might be faltering at first, but if we persevere, it will open the door to the most amazing relationship that it's possible to have. And uh, actually, during the notices, I'll talk about something we're doing on Ash Wednesday, uh, a session on how and why do we pray, uh, but more on that later. Uh, So what about fasting? Well, the first thing to say about fasting is it's not for everyone. If uh, you have a medical condition like diabetes or uh, an eating disorder, then fasting is not the right thing to be doing. The next thing to say about fasting is it is always accompanied by prayer. There is no point in us fasting if we're not praying. Uh, Fasting without prayer is Weight Watchers. That's something very different. And the reason that we fast is that it strengthens self-discipline. It lessens our hold on material things, or more to the point, it lessens the grip that material things have over us. And it shows God that we mean business. We're not trying to twist God's arm, but we fast as a mark of our sincerity and commitment. And there are no set rules about fasting. We could fast from when we get up until lunchtime. Uh, We could fast for a single 24-hour period. We could fast once a month. We could fast during Lent. Uh, There's no set rules. A friend of mine from Sierra Leone uh, fasts for a week at a time. I think he only has water in that time. And in my experience, African Christians tend to take fasting really seriously. Uh, But that's pretty hardcore, and for some it would be dangerous. Uh, We're not trying to make ourselves ill. We just want to loose our grip on the physical in order that we can focus on the spiritual, on our relationship with Jesus. And yes, we can give up certain types of food during Lent. We could even give up chocolate during Lent. But we do that uh, as it, it fits into the broader context of what's happening during Lent, what we are doing during Lent. So let us make the most of this Lenten season, which begins on Wednesday. Let us form good habits Let us develop a more disciplined approach to prayer in our lives. Let us draw near to Jesus so that when Easter comes, if we take and Lent seriously, we'll be hit by the full force and significance of the events that we'll be remembering and celebrating at Easter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We turn our eyes to you as we move into this season of Lent. And we pray, Father, that we will, as a church, will practice a good Lent. Not a showy Lent. Not a Lent where we try and uh, compete as to how much we're praying or fasting or what we're doing. But a time of drawing near to you. A time of setting aside some prayer and developing good habits that will take us on through the year and on through life. We pray, Father, that we will take this seriously, that we will take our relationship with you seriously. Father, help us to kickstart our our prayer lives and our relationship with you this Lent. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.